0: Hi everybody, it's Stefan Molyneux from Freedom Main Radio, hope you're doing well. So I watched Obama's speech tonight on terrorism, and we're going to get into some of the more specific details about that, but late last week I'm watching TV, part of my job, and um, I flip a channel and I see a bunch of people with cameras and lights, there was a woman with a dog walking through, there was a guy heading out licking a popsicle, and this was Saeed Farouk's and Tashfeen Malik's apartment. Um, where they had what was called an IED factory, an improvised explosive device factory, where they stored a lot of weaponry, and they stored a lot of bullets, and so on, for one of the biggest terrorist attacks in American history on American soil. And uh, this is a day or two after the actual attack... And people are just kind of wandering through the place. This is perhaps the epicenter of a bunch of terrorist cells. It would seem to me that it might be quite important to dust the hell out of it for fingerprints or make sure that you've got a hold of all of the shredded documents or have we got people wandering through showing photographs, showing a bunch of other stuff, like, hey, here's a hole in the wall. Hey, excuse me, pardon me, excuse me, crime scene, media, camera coming through because there's a lot of people out there in TV land who can crack this thing because they read some Connolly novels. (sighs) So the media just kind of went in. Went in and the FBI said, oh, yeah, we kind of got what we needed (laughs) in a day, or day and a half, or whatever the hell it was. So, this crime scene was spoiled by the media. Nothing in it that was trampled on, or poured over, or pulled out, or grabbed through is admissible in court anymore. Trying not to go crazy. You're not making it any easier, planet. The only people who were allowed to be in there legally, other than the cops, I guess, was the uh, landlord, if he had course and family members and so on. Media's just waltzing through. Anyone going to get prosecuted? So, when you think about whether the government can keep you safe, they can't keep a bunch of mouth-breathing, <laughs> Neanderthoid media personalities out of a very, very important crime scene. Some serial killer, and, you know, they were kind of compressed serial killers, Serial killer, you know, lots of clues, lots of, you know, you got to study things, you got to have a real time to go through and everything like that. Except a serial killer is not potentially a kind of terrorist cell that's been a sleeper cell for a while, that's kind of woken up, that may be in contact with other cells and so on. So more important than a serial killer's lair is this apartment and everybody's just wandering through. Can't you put a cop outside? Can't you put a cop? I mean, I see them guarding gay pride parades. There were cops at my high school dances, making sure that nobody had injected vodka into their oranges. Cops everywhere! Can't put a cop outside? Really? One of the biggest scenes of terrorist style, potentially radiating out network of cells, criminal layers in American history. Can't put a cop outside. It's okay. had some tape. I'm sorry, it's just, what the hell is wrong with this planet? How can anybody turn to the state for protection? Madness. Absolute madness. So, Obama said, well, you see, there's no proof of a conspiracy. Well, not exactly. The feds have proof of overseas money and training, but they say there's no evidence for conspiracy. Apparently, some banks have been served with things that kind of look roughly like subpoenas trying to figure out the money trail and so on. But, you know, what's the relationship between Obama and the FBI? Well, I don't know. Unless the FBI is a golf caddy, probably not that close. Obama's former head of intelligence recently admitted on, yes, national television. He claimed that Obama ignored evidence about the rise of ISIS in order to win re-election in 2012. It's a good thing to have confidence by ignoring information. And, of course, um, the question of gun control came up very quickly. Well, two things came up quickly. Right away, he had to talk about the race and ethnicity of the victims because for Obama... Every single thing in the known universe is all about the race, because he's all about the race. It's race, race, race with him 24-7, non-stop, and twice on Sundays. Now, um, one of the problems with attacking ISIS or ISIL or whatever, American bombs that are dropping on them, well, uh, ISIS, kind of funded by U.S. allies, the Islamic State's rise, has to a large degree been fueled by cash, from fine citizens of Saudi Arabia, Qatar, Kuwait, Turkey, other places. So, you know, places which are kind of considered to be allies of the United States and who the United States supplies a huge amount of military weaponry to. See, here's how logic works, let's say, on the left. The right has its own logic problems. Here's how logic works on the left in the United States. You can't have guns! No guns for you, no guns for you! Oh wait, are you a beheading, fetish, evil bag, theocratic dictator? Oh yes, absolutely. You can have huge amounts of weaponry. See, you, the American taxpayer, you can't have any guns. However, if you're King Abdullah von Soron head over in Saudi Arabia, yes, you can have all the weapons that you want paid for by the very taxpayers that the government is denying weaponry to in the country. So that's the logic of how that works. Yeah, well, people, of course, have uh, some suspicion about Mr. Obama's sympathy towards Islam. Uh, he did once recall the opening lines of the Arabic call to prayer. He had apparently a first-rate accent growing up in Jakarta or wherever it was, and uh, he also said that um, he said that the call to prayer is quote one of the prettiest sounds on earth at sunset, unless, of course, you happen to be. Let's say an agnostic blogger, in which case uh, it's like a new slowly tightening around your soon-to-be-separated neck. Now, he said, (laughs) he said, since the attacks in Paris, we've started merging intelligence sharing with our European allies. He said we surged it. Okay, so they've really decided to start intelligence sharing with the European allies. Question, you know, just off the top of my head with my youthful hair. um, If it's a good idea to share intelligence with your allies, did anybody, just out of curiosity of the hundreds of thousands, if not millions of people on the intelligence payroll throughout Europe and North America, did anyone think before, say, 130 plus people were slaughtered in Paris, did anyone say, you know what, we should really Um, Merge more of our intelligence sharing. I mean, if you can do it and do it so quickly that it only takes a week or two, maybe you guys can do it before people get slaughtered. See, it's not that good to pump the brakes when you've already driven Thelma and Louise style off the cliff. I'm hitting the brakes. Does that create air drag for my Michelins? (laughs) Another thing he said... (laughs) It was interesting. He said, we're working with Turkey to seal its border with Syria. <laughs> okay, <laughs> I don't even know what to say. I feel, I, mean, I feel like I'm in Alice in Wonderland strapped in a psychotic LSD-laced monkey barrel turning race. See, so he says, we're working with Turkey to seal its border with Syria. See, it's really important that Turkey keep the Syrians out. Seal that border. Make sure nobody comes out of Syria. And certainly we don't want any Syrians getting into Turkey. What? Oh yeah, no, uh, there's about 100,000 coming in too. America, 25,000 into Canada and about 8 trillion into Germany. So really make sure that Turkey seals its border. Keep those Syrians out. Because apparently that's really good for the fight on terrorism to keep the Syrians out of your country. He says, we are cooperating with Muslim majority countries and with our Muslim communities here at home to counter the vicious ideology that ISIL promotes online. All right. So, I, of course, am wildly open to correction on this, as in just about everything else except basic logic, empiricism, reason, and reality. But I'm kind of curious. Um, has the Islamic community handed over a lot of suspected terrorists to the government? Have they found some hinky guy grown out his beard and facial twitches whenever Israel is mentioned, uh, you know, kind of calluses on his trigger finger and carpal tunnel syndrome on whatever hand you pull a grenade pin out of it, They turned a lot of these people over. Maybe they have, and, and maybe they're keeping it on the down low for obvious reasons, but I don't know um, if that has happened a lot. Now, one of the things that is also a little bit confusing is that, see, there's Islam, and then there's this crazy, vicious ideology that ISIL promotes online, he said. Okay, Islam, crazy, vicious ideology. Now, I'm no Islamic scholar, <laughs> but I... I guess I just have the question because nobody ever details to me the degree and the length to which ISIL deviates from the Quran. I mean, I'm curious. I'm oh, again put post the corrections below. I know and I understand that the Koran sort of has two major parts, and the first part is kind of peaceful or peaceful-ish, and the second part, I don't know what's the diametric opposite of peaceful-ish. Well, that would be the second part, and according to a lot of the Islamic scholars that I've read, the second part supersedes the first part. It's kind of like Christianity in reverse. You know, Old Testament, kind of like a bloodthirsty murder fest. New Testament, you know, there's a few hugs and puppies and safe rooms. And it seems to me kind of like the Quran goes the opposite way. But again, I'm happy. So people will say, oh, we'll see no compulsion in the realm of religion and so on. Okay, there's that for sure. And in the Christian Bible, in the Old Testament, there's an eye for an eye. And in the New Testament, there's turn the other cheek. So yes, you can, f- so it doesn't ban it. It's just contradictory. So that is something that I would like to see. Give me a list of how there's no possible way that anything that ISIL or ISIS does that is ever countenanced by Islamic theology. If you can find one thing that really backs up what they're doing, I don't know that it's hugely a deviation. That's just something I'm open to. Please correct me in the comments below. Now, one of the things that showed up in this recent San Bernardino shooting was that neighbors saw suspicious activity. And they didn't want to report it because they were afraid of racially profiling or ethnically profiling or culturally profiling or whatever. So one possibility is that Obama could have said, you know what, we really should be on the lookout for suspicious behavior. That might be kind of helpful. That probably would have saved all of these lives. Oh, no. Instead, he sicks the attorney general on the planet to warn everyone about speaking negatively about Islam. Oh, uh, also, he investigated the Irving Police Department for responding to, if you remember may remember, currently residing in Qatar and suing for 15 million Muslim teenager clocked by Ahmed bin Mohammed, carrying a bomb-like, bomb-like object into school. So, I don't know that he's really, if you see something, say something. Although, without that, there's no possibility of responding to these threats in anything other than after the fact. Focused on gun control, as the leftists always do. Now, um, they did have 15 pipe bombs, I'm not a legal expert, (laughs) I'm no lawyer, but I'm pretty sure that pipe bombs are not legal. So, by this rather elementary logic, if they ban the weapons, then the terrorists have as much chance to have the weapons as this murderous pair had to have, say, 15 pipe bombs. In other words, that chance would be approximately 100%. Although, of course, everything then would be a gun-free zone. Funny when you think about it. Gun-free zones quite often are not, say, bullet-free zones or life-affirming or life-continuing zones because, yeah, murder rates have gone down in America except in gun-free zones. And again, sources for all of this are below. All right, so he said that um, that these uh, terrorists, they have perverted Islam you know because he's really into religious tolerance and respect for women respect for homosexual rights and so on so you know give or take depending on how you measure it's about 50 or so Islamic countries around the world how are they doing relative to the values that Obama claims to hold hold dear religious tolerance respect for women protection of homosexualities, freedom of speech separation of church and state you know all the things that are somewhat floating around the Constitution that he claims to be a scholar of and was apparently a professor of at some point. So, if Islam has been perverted because it doesn't uh, manifest in religious tolerance, respect for women, gay rights, rights of atheists, rights of freedom of speech and so on, then does that mean that almost every single Islamic country has also perverted Islam? It's a little bit tough to make (laughs) that case. After a certain amount of time, he also referred. Obama referred to countless plots that have been thwarted. See, that's um, countless is a lot. <laughs> I mean, uh, I'm not an expert at math. Occasionally, got to kick off my loafers to finish my taxes, but um, countless plots is is quite a lot. So he's basically saying, don't be afraid of terrorism, but we can barely hold back the. Crazy exploding lava filled thermonuclear dike of incoming terrorist attacks. Now relax and have yourself a happy Xmas. <laughs> X because we don't want to say Christ. And so, countless plots that have been thwarted. Don't panic. Don't worry. Don't let the terrorists win. Don't be afraid. Oh, there's another no, way we, we stopped it. Stopped it. Stopped it. Stopped it. Basically, it's uh, they're a Jedi with a robot army, and eventually the lightsabers are going to run out of power. So, um, yeah, countless plots. Not exactly very. Reassuring now he also mentioned don't be afraid or you know, don't judge Muslims and so on and referred to Chattanooga and Fort Hood shootings um, <sighs> Both of whom were Muslims. I don't know you can't make this stuff up I literally feel like I'm living in a Monty Python sketch that uh, I can't wake up from <laughs> you know, he also I grew up uh, with a pretty strong reverence for Winston Churchill and um, you know when Winston Churchill talked about war he basically said, strap yourself in, people. It's going to be a long, bloody, and ugly process to beat these Nazis. Uh, and you never hear American presidents, uh, and of course this one in particular, not talk about sacrifice. Go shopping. Enjoy your lives. We're taking care of it. There's no need for sacrifice. The war is not serious, ever unless you demand sacrifice from the general population. Now, if you don't demand uh, sacrifice from the general population, it means you know that the general population doesn't want the war, right? Churchill could demand sacrifice from the British population because the British population were like, yeah, it's time to do it. Let's do it. And let's do it till it's done. And let's have them never get back up again. And that's to a large degree kind of what happened, because once you start bombing the eggs rather than blowing up the men, well, men are disposable and eggs are precious in any biological system. So uh, once you start bombing the women, uh, then you find a lot of pacifism for a generation or two, as in Japan and Germany, Second World War. But we can talk about that another time. So it's all nonsense until they give you ration cards, until there's a draft, until, like a, until there's sacrifice. It's all just theater. Now, out of nowhere, ugh, it's all out of nowhere, this, <laughs> out of nowhere. I feel like Luke Skywalker on the Millennium Falcon. you know, He's got the helmet down and it's like, tch, tch, this thing's like, all comes out of nowhere, except there's no force. He says, let's at least have those on the no-fly list. You can't have guns. And he said, you know, what could conceivably stop us from doing that? What could conceivably stop us not allowing people to have guns who are on the no-fly list? Oh, I got a four-syllable word. It's called the Constitution, which means that you can't be deprived of your rights without due process. Obama, the constitutional scholar, I'd like to see any tapes of that actually happening. Pixar didn't happen. Yeah. No due process on the no-fly list. You know, a government puts you on some list of horror, you can go to a court and try and appeal it. No-fly list, totally arbitrary. Can't get off it, can't appeal it. So basically he's saying, man, wouldn't it be great? I got a fantastic idea. I know that's in this constitution, but frankly, it's just like fly paper for good ideas. What if we had the power to strip people of their capacity to own weapons with no due process just by adding them to a list? Wouldn't that be? It's a great way to get around this whole pesky right to own guns. Congress shall make no law. Ah, but you know, it's not really a law. It's just a database. (laughs) It's a scribble. So yeah, the no due process part, that might be a good reason to think twice about it. Oh, how about if this? Ah, if you're not allowed to fly on an airplane because you're so dangerous, you really can't have guns, can you? I've got another one. How about those on the no-fly list aren't allowed to vote? I mean, if you're not allowed on a plane, surely you can't determine foreign policy. If you're too dangerous to allow on a plane, how can you vote for which new group of psychotic rebels the U.S. should arm, which will later turn on them? Now, of course, if you said, well, those on the no-fly list shouldn't be allowed to vote, you'd be saying, well, you can't take that right away. It's like, well, hello, Second Amendment. He's really keen, uh, Obama, on equality before the law, regardless of race, regardless of of ethnicity, regardless of religion. First of all, of course, equality before the law, regardless of race. It's fantastic to see him turning against affirmative action and the adjustment of school scores to get into college based upon race and the adjustment of just about every other educational score to cover up, say, black underachievement. And you could say, although I wouldn't, Asian overachievement. You know, I need stuff built, so good for them. <laughs> so um, it's fantastic that he says equality before the law, regardless of race or belief system or anything like that. So Saudi Arabia, uh, gays and atheists, are they equal before the law or are they pretty much thrown off buildings, stoned to death or sentenced to a thousand lashes that it takes the combined weight of a billion outraged people to even begin to slow down? I mean, this is the guy who says, well, you gotta be equal before the law, who bowed to the Saudi king, King Sauron. Holy batshit, biracial baromir, batman. Ah. Now, he said that he's gonna take decisive action to defeat ISIS. My god. So apparently his objective in 2014, last year for those who were counting. Close to two years ago at the beginning. His objective in 2014 was to defeat ISIS. But you see, after the attack in Paris, he's talking about taking decisive action to defeat ISIS. Um, Was it indecisive inaction that he was contemplating before uh, was it decisive action to not decisively defeat ISIS? This is what always happens. They say, we got it covered. Disaster happens. We've got it covered. Disaster happens. We're going to do the right thing. Why didn't you do it before? Keep moving. Nothing to see here. It's like driving blindfolded with no rear view mirror and <laughs> off a cliff in every particular direction. Oh, why not do it before if it was important to be done? Now he said, Obama said with regards to gun control, you see, there's just no conceivable way to figure out who's dangerous or who's not. But when it comes to importing 100,000 Syrians, no problem. See, when it comes to domestic Americans, well, you have pretty good paperwork and you have access to, you know, their birth certificate and their criminal records and their educational. You've got lots of paperwork on American citizens. But, you see, a Syrian person can come in basically with their <laughs> with their birth certificate written in crayon on, on an Etch-a-Sketch and it's like, yeah, come on in. So they can't possibly figure out which Americans should be allowed to own guns because you don't never know who's dangerous or not. But no problem having Syrians come in. Do you see, it's 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 so mad. It's somehow become sane again. Um, in a recent congressional hearing, FBI Director James uh, James Comey said, "Quote: A number of people who were of serious concern end quote slipped through the screening of Iraq War refugees, including two arrested on terrorism-related charges." So. That was pretty much the product of, let's just say, less than excellent vetting. So he said, if we don't know much about somebody, there won't be anything in our data. I can't sit here and offer anyone an absolute assurance that there's no risk associated with this. He also noted, this requirement where he would have to personally sign off on every individual refugee coming from Syria and Iraq, is just (laughs) frankly impossible. (laughs) It's impossible. Can't possibly do it. Now, when it comes to strongest screen, uh, screening, see, um, the San Bernito shooter wife, Bonnie Hamad or whatever her name was, well, when she came into the country on the fiancé visa, uh, she actually wrote down an address in Pakistan. Doesn't even exist. Doesn't even exist. Who knows? Stardate 24, uh, 666, Hades Lane, Shire... Tatooine. No idea. Doesn't even exist. So apparently, the the barrier to figuring out is Google Maps. Type in the address she gave. Does it exist? I just saved civilization! No, no, we don't have any chance to do that. Apparently, that's geographical profiling. It's not allowed. Just because it's a desert doesn't mean it's dangerous. Well, it does to me. I'm white. And Irish. So, I pretty much see the sun and burst into flames. I'm a vampire who likes whiskey. So, so to receive her visa, this woman, Malik, was subjected to a vetting process in the U.S. uh, that the government describes as vigorous. So, in-person interviews, fingerprints, checks against terrorists, watch lists, reviews of family members, travel history, places that she lived and worked, but not whether the address she gave that she lived existed. Now, of course, you'll never hear this from (laughs) a president... Well, we're very sorry, we have to fight this group called ISIS, which we kind of armed in the first place. Uh, You know, just like bin Laden, who we kind of armed and trained in the first place. This boomerang thing, you just, you don't have to go far on the web to find it. We've done a whole video about this, which we can link below on the origins of ISIS. But, um, sorry, we armed all of these criminals who are now shooting you down. But don't worry, we'll tax you, we'll hand out more arms, train more people to fight them. (sighs) rinse and repeat, rinse in blood, and repeat to eternity. Now, they say, of course, uh, he said, well, we need the Muslims to fight the terrorists, to find the terrorists, you know, without the participation of the Muslim community. uh, Can't possibly find them. Again, I'm just sort of going off memory here, but it seems to me that every time one of these crazy Muslim shooters come up, the family, the friends, the mosque, the extended community say, he a nice boy. <laughs> he didn't do nothing. He's a nice guy. Uh, I don't know. It's weird. I don't know where this came from. It's weird. Now, of course, there is a commandment in certain aspects of uh, Islam that lying to the enemy is morally good. Not just okay. A-okay. And um, so, uh, if you need help to find these terrorists from the Muslim community, it'd be kind of nice if when one of these terrorists uh, acted out, that the people said, oh, yeah, are you kidding me? I can't believe it took him this long. I mean, we were taking bets. Guy was a total short fuse. You know, you shake his hand, he tries to throw you into a sewer. So, yeah, I mean, it would be nice if they seemed to have any capacity for identifying the radicals in their midst, rather than after the fact, saying, uh, oh, we had no idea, no idea whatsoever. I mean, okay, he had four RPGs in his back pocket. I don't know, just thought he had a hemorrhoid. Maybe he'd sit in a cold rocks for a while. Maybe he eat too much Indian. I don't know. Now, the father of the shooter, of the guy, I, the father said, uh, originally he said, I don't know, was a good Muslim boy, I had no idea what was going on. Later he said, oh yeah, well, okay, there, it is true that my boy uh, shared the ideology of al-Baghdadi. That's the woman, as the guy who, uh, the woman pledged allegiance to before shooting up uh, all the people gathered for the holiday celebration of winterness that has something to do with some religion somewhere from the Middle East oh yeah he, he shared the ideology of al-Baghdadi he wanted to create an Islamic state he was obsessed with Israel said the father this is a couple of days after he said I don't know weird I don't know it came out of nowhere that's uh, kinda of boring so basically Farouk's dad went from he a good boy to well okay he did kind of think about wiping Israel off the face of the map Uh, in about three days. And uh, what his father said to his son was, he said, I kept telling him, always stay calm. Be patient. In two years, Israel will no longer exist. Uh, Yes, apparently, he told uh, a newspaper, geopolitics is changing. Russia, China, America too. Nobody wants the Jews there. Well, uh, that's kind of a hint. So I think if you're relying upon... Not all, but some aspects or some sections of the Muslim community to turn over people they suspect of terrorism. You might be waiting for a while. That's kind of a dusty booth in the back of the fair. Now, this narrative, which is put forward, uh, and we'll just touch on this briefly, um, but a narrative that's put forward is, well, you know, okay, there's some tiny minority of Muslims who've got some extremist ideas, but, you know, according to some calculations by Ben Shapiro, those who just believe in Sharia law, which we'll get to in a moment, not exactly highly compatible with the Anglo-Saxon, Western-developed common law, there are hundreds and hundreds of millions, uh, millions of Muslims worldwide who believe that Sharia law is how you should run a country. That's really not a tiny outlier <laughs> at all. Um, we looked up some studies here. Uh, we just looked at four countries, um, Turkey, Pakistan, Nigeria, and Malaysia. And uh, looked up the research and said, okay, well, in these four countries, how many Muslims have a favorable view of ISIS? You know, ISIS. ISIS. You know, beheading people with rusty knives, burning people alive in cages, you know, that kind of stuff. That kind of ISIS. And in these four countries, there were 49 million Muslims who had a favorable view of ISIS. Only four countries. Remember there's about 50 Muslim countries. Only four. In only four countries, there are 49 million people who have a favorable view of ISIS. Now 49 million people, it's like a Canada and a half almost. It's the population of Spain. Uh, That's not a small amount. That's not an outlier. In America, the majority of American Muslims would rather at least have the choice, and I assume would rather be judged by Sharia law, than the Constitution. And I got to think, you get a bunch of communities that want to be arbitrated by Sharia law rather than the Constitution. I don't know, things that would change. Gay pride parade probably changed a little bit. Women's relationship with their clitorises, you know, might be a little bit of separation anxiety. Death penalties for atheism. Adultery, say, leaving Islam. uh, Trying to convert people from Islam to another religion. Bit of a deviation. Um, Only 39%. Of those polled in America said that Muslims in the U.S., this is American Muslims, only 39% of those polled said that Muslims in the U.S. should be subject to American courts. I mean, why the hell would you want to move to a country and be subject to its laws? Crazy. Under Sharia law, distributing Christian literature can result in a five-year prison sentence. And I don't believe that's the kind of club fed that you get in some places in America. Uh, Under Sharia law, the death penalty applies to Muslims who criticize Muhammad, the Quran, or Sharia law. Severe penalties also apply to Christians who speak out against Islam. Um, rape, not so great in some aspects of Sharia law. A woman making an accusation of rape, got to provide four male witnesses. If she can't, well, she gets charged with Zina, for which the prescribed punishment is flogging or stoning. Thousands of women are imprisoned as, as a result of not being able to su- successfully prosecute their charges of rape. Some of them are even stoned to death. Um Under Sharia law, unmarried fornicators are to be whipped. Adulterers are to be stoned to death. Homosexuals must be executed. Bye-bye. We will rock you. Any person found stealing, well, you know, hello, Stumpy, an injured plaintiff, can also extract legal revenge, which is called lex talionis, an eye for an eye. Cost me my eye, I can gouge out your eye. And so on. And, um, hmm... Nearly a quarter of the American Muslims' polled believe that it is legitimate to use violence to punish those who give offense to Islam by, for example, portraying the Prophet Muhammad. Okay. A quarter of the American Muslims. It's hundreds and hundreds of thousands of Muslims believe it's legitimate to use violence to punish those who give offense to Islam. So not so much with the freedom of speech. Nearly one-fifth of Muslim respondents In America said that the use of violence in the United States is justified in order to make Sharia the law of the land in America. I'm having trouble seeing that as a weird outlier to the population as a whole. So, the United States has about 3 million Muslims, give or take. Okay, so um, of that... At a very conservative estimate, 300,000 Muslims living in the U.S. believe that Sharia is the Muslim god Allah's law, that Muslims must follow and impose worldwide by jihad. 300,000. 300,000. But it's okay. Statistically, there'll be another 10,000 coming in from Syria. Now, in January 2014, Obama accompanied ISIS. with a, He compared ISIS to a JV team. It's junior varsity. He said, quote, The analogy we use around here sometimes, and I think it is accurate, is if a JV team puts on Lakers uniforms (laughs) that doesn't make them Kobe Bryant. (laughs) See, ISIS is so uh, terrible that um, they're just really, really bad at what they do, and we don't have to take them seriously. Except, of course, for the fact that they are absolutely kicking America's ass up and down the Levant. See, the promise of the war in Iraq, 2003, was to make Iraq into a modern secular democracy with all of the wonderful things that come with that. Equality for women, uh, freedom of religion, separation of church and state, at least to some degree. You know, make it all nice. They're going to welcome us as liberators. They'll be out under the heel of Saddam Hussein and his gruesome sons. And um, it's going to just be wonderful. Well, it's worse than Vietnam. It's worse than Vietnam. The death count is not as bad. The death count in Vietnam was in the high 70,000s. Death count in Iraq is not nearly that high. Uh, Let's count, of course, the accidental deaths that come from training and machinery and so on. But See, at least Vietnam eventually became somewhat of a non-communist, largely non-communist, a largely secular and much freer society than it was either prior to or under communism. It made some steps in the right direction, broke free of the Soviet orbit and the Chinese orbit, and managed to chart its own course and became somewhat of a market powerhouse, at least relative to where it had been before. So although America lost in Vietnam, at least the country itself flourished into something better than it was before. Iraq. We've got a presentation on this channel called Iraq, A Decade of Hell. I won't go into the details here, but you need to watch it. I was on TV talking about it as well. You need to watch it. The degree to which Iraq and Iraqis have been fundamentally destroyed. Not just economically, not just culturally, not just in terms of their ability to get fresh water, electricity, medical care, all of the basics that we probably take for granted in the West, but even genetically. The degree to which these depleted uranium weapons have destroyed the genetic integrity of entire populations in Fallujah and other countries is truly staggering. The degree to which the, um, the amount of suffering that has occurred for the children in Iraq and, and even prior to the war. Under the embargo, there was an estimate that half a million Iraqi children had died as a result of being unable to get food or medical care. As a result of the US and UK led embargo against Iraq prior to the invasion. But since then, estimates of approximately a million or a million plus Iraqis have died. And these are people who've left orphans. And these are people who've watched their parents bleed out in their arms and shaken their fist in impotence at screaming fighter jets going by with the burning hatred of a thousand years being built up against the great Satan who they see, and rightly so, has destroyed their entire culture and country. You don't go to war halfway. There should be no invasion of these countries. The United States should withdraw from the region, just as the Allies did in the past. You cannot fundamentally reshape cultures through guns, you cannot bullet people into loving ballots. It is a slow, multi-generational process of improving parenting and of bringing better and newer ideas to a perpetually young and curious population. That is how change occurs. If space aliens had come down and bombed the living shit out of the West in the year 1300, would it be the would it have developed any kind of civilization? <laughs> Some of course people think that it hasn't <laughs> When Gandhi was once asked What he thought of western civilization He says I think it would be a great idea You cannot bomb people Into progress Bombing creates trauma Trauma creates sociopathy Sociopathy breeds the destruction of civilization And that is the You, you, you sow The seeds of fire You reap the inferno whirlwind and That is what is happening and that is what is being ignored. And all of the sophisticated teleprompter readings, zombie-like dronings of the Commander-in-Chief will not change the basic facts. I've got a, um, a book by Lloyd DeMoss that I read as an audiobook You can get at freedomaderadio.com slash free. Called The Origins of War in Child Abuse. And uh, you need to read it. The Agonies of the World are the Agonies of Early Childhood. And... When we have tantrums, as frustrated and hurt and and enraged toddlers, all we can do is throw plates and pound our fists. When we have tantrums as adults, with all of that undealt with and extrapolated trauma into the wild, magic, apocalyptic landscape of end-times theology, well, our tantrums can break the world. This is Stefan Molyneux for Freedom Main Radio. Thank you for watching.